morning King's Cross. Uh, nice to be with you all. I wish I could see your faces and we will be able to soon. It's nice to be in a room with some of uh, you. For those of you who are visiting King's Cross or a family or friend of someone online, my name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here and I'm going to be preaching today. So if we were together, I probably wouldn't be trying to preach too short, but today you're going to um, get a homily out of me, which is a short sermon. Um, that's pretty amazing. If from King's Cross, that's almost miraculous. That may be as miraculous as the sermon itself. Um, so let me read a large section of scripture and then we're going to get into Luke. All right. After the, uh, it's Luke 10, verse 1 to 24. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, in every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send, out, uh, to send laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money, money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter first, say, Peace be to this house. And if the Son of Peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. <laughs> Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Woe to you, Kerazon. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, uh, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to, to Hades. The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and none knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Then turning to the disciples, He said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Father, as we meet together in this way, we pray that you glorify your Son in our gathering. We pray that the message of Jesus would be clear to us and would ring in our hearts. Pray that you'd help me <coughs> as I communicate over this medium to glorify you and to bring a clear message. 
And may our hearts be encouraged in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. So, what on earth are we doing here? Not on Zoom, but in life in general. Uh, there's pandemics, wars, floods, domestic violence, mosquitoes, petrol and food hikes, inflation, homelessness. Just this morning, I walked to get some coffee. Uh, and a, a hundred meter walk from here to the shopping back past three homeless people. Um, there isn't a day where we're not affected in some way or someone that we know isn't affected in some way. Suffering surrounds us. Um, there's absolute chaos in this world. And if we manage to escape uh, our own suffering, then it comes close through friends and family disrupts our minds, it disrupts our feelings, it disrupts our lived experience, our routines, our dreams, our plans, our hopes, our futures. So what are we doing here? In the times like this, they can be, for many people, deeply discouraging. I don't know how you felt, but there's been many days where I've felt a deep discouragement in my soul. And so this morning I want to answer the question, what are we doing here, with three points. Number one, we have been sent on a mission. Number two, we have a message of peace. And number three, we have a reason to rejoice. Number one, we have been sent on a mission. Jesus sends out uh, 72 of his disciples. And it's a similar mission, if you go read Luke 9, it's a similar mission to what he sent the 12 disciples on. Now, in the ancient world, there would be some meaning to numbers. And so people would understand and interpret things by, by numbers. And it's very likely that the 72 that Jesus sends is significant. In other words, if we ask the question, what if Jesus only sent the 12 disciples, the previous Luke 9 mission, and he only sent them and they came back with these wonderful reports and that was it. And Jesus carried on ministering and then... Well, it's very likely then that the message that the Christians would have understood is that there's professionals that are called to ministry and it's primarily to restore the people of Israel. The 12 disciples would have represented the households of Jacob, the 12 uh, sons of Jacob and the houses of Israel. And so each uh, disciple would easily represent kind of a reestablishment of the people of God. But by sending the 72, it takes us away from that and expands the mission of God to something else. Well, what does the 72 represent? If you go look at Genesis 9, um, I think it's Genesis 9 or 10, Genesis 10, there's a list of nations that descended from Noah. And it's called, um, I think it's called the Table of Nations. It's basically all the nations that have descended from Noah after the flood. And non, not surprisingly, there's 72 nations. And so quite easily what, and what the ancient people would understand, what the, those who with the Jewish mind would understand is that uh, the 72 people would, would represent all nations, a mission that's for all people, all tribes, all tongues, that Jesus isn't just sending out these professionals to the people of God uh, or the Israelites. Jesus is sending out all people to all people to uh, tell them a message. Um, and we'll talk about that in a second. But the mission was for everyone. 
Jesus clarifies this later when he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptize, uh, make disciples of nations, baptize them, etc. And then in Acts 2, we start to see that happening. Um, <clears throat> so without making too much of it, what I want us to know is that we have been sent on mission. We're not here biding our time. We're not here wasting our time. We've been sent on mission. Now, there are missionaries, we think of, who get sent to certain places, um, places where most of us don't want to go. But actually, we are all missionaries, and we've all been sent. So if you, go, if you go nowhere, you've been sent here on mission for Jesus. You've been sent into your neighborhood, your workplace, your school, um, and you are on mission for Jesus. You're not wasting time. You're not biding your time. You're on a mission sent by Jesus, like one of the 72 um, to go and spread a message, which I'll tell you about in a second. But it's probably worth um, talking a little bit about how we go on mission, because Jesus does outline some things here. Number one, yeah, firstly note that the amount of work is always going to be too much. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray for them. Um, this is... This is first reading, it's a bit discouraging, but when you think about it, it's actually quite encouraging. That it's not in your or my ability to achieve this mission. It's way beyond us. Um, there's always going to be too much work. And so Jesus says the solution isn't that you, by your own efforts, can go and bring in the harvest. What you should do is you should pray to the Lord of the harvest. The thing that you and I can do is turn to God and say, God, we can't do this by ourselves. Uh, it's your harvest. You're the Lord of it. Um, won't you send us? Won't you send helpers? Won't you... Um, bring laborers and we we join god in praying to him for the harvest field that is around us and that takes a great responsibility off of us to achieve it um, in and of our own strength and so even though we are sent on mission we depend entirely on god to save people um, it's not something you and i can do by ourselves secondly jesus says we go as lambs amongst wolves um, this means that we need courage and gentleness. We don't go as wolves among sheep, but we go as sheep among wolves. Not even just sheep, we go as lambs amongst wolves. Um, we need courage. We need to depend on God, and we need to be led by the Holy Spirit as we go. Um, we, we, uh, there may be some dangers, there may be discouragements, there may be hardships, there may be difficulties. But we depend on God um, as we go with courage. But we also go with gentleness. Um, we put others before ourselves. We take hits. We're not always well esteemed as Christians. Um, those of us who want to be thought of as the most successful or the smartest um, or the most respected. Uh, Christianity is uh, an unlikely way to get any of that um, in this post-Christian age. But we go with gentleness, nevertheless, with a great message on mission. We go as gentle as lambs amongst wolves, uh, trusting God, depending on God um, to achieve his task and will. Thirdly, we have to trust God to provide what we need. Jesus says, they're just going to the homes and eat what they give you. Um, God will provide. In this, in this text, Jesus says, take nothing with you. In other texts, Jesus says, take things with you. 
in other words, all the time we depend on God for what we need. Uh, he sometimes tells us to go with nothing. Other times he says, go prepared. Uh, all the while we need to go walking with Jesus, being led by his spirit, trusting God to provide for us as we're on mission with him. Fourthly, we have to trust God to open and close doors. Um, we can't decide who he's going to bring in. I know I've seen this in my own family as my wife has wept for friends um, in this country that seems so far away from Jesus. I know that she would give her arms um, if she could just get them into the kingdom. I've heard of others in King's Cross uh, use phrases like, if I could throw you in, I would. If I could pick you up and throw you into the kingdom, I would. And that's how we feel. Um, but ultimately, we aren't able to pick anyone up and throw them into the kingdom. We aren't able to give our arms and legs for anyone to join the kingdom. Uh, ultimately, we have to trust God um, to open doors and to close doors. And all we can do is knock and try and um, see uh, who God will bring to himself, who God will open a door to share uh, the message of Christ with. Um, so, in summary of point number one, all Christians are called to be on mission. All of us. There's no professionals. We're all part of the 72. All nations, all people, all of us in some way, through our lives, are called to be on mission. You don't have to go to an unreached people group. Just simply go to the people who are around you, um, where Jesus has sent you to go. Number two, we have a message of peace. It makes sense that how we go fits in the message that we bring. Um, we have a message of peace from God, a message of peace with God. Um, if there is an offer of peace with God, then there is obviously a war with God that we need to be saved from. And for many years, many decades now, um, theologians have correctly corrected the church to say you can't always be talking about the good news you have to people have to know that there's bad news you can't be saved there can't be good news without bad news and so you have to talk about sin and you have to talk about hell and and that was a correction because um many churches stopped talking about sin and stopped talking about hell um the problem is that with most things a pendulum has swung and, and we almost try to save people there or the whole time now, you know, and so you hear about the doom and gloom preachers and, you know, turn or burn and liars make good friars and people are kind of hanging out here, um, trying to get people to be so scared of the bad news that they might hop over to God as if being scared enough of, of sin and death and hell um, is a way to bring people into the goodness of God. But that's no way to evangelize at all. And if we look at what Jesus teaches us, what we don't find is a fearful front ending of the gospel. We don't find him saying, go to people, warn the heck out of them until they're terribly frightened and then tell them, well, there's actually some good news. What we find is Jesus um, saying, go ahead and um, share this peace with God, share this goodness, this good message with them, that there's peace with God, um, that there's a blessing for them. And this is a mercy of God. This is a grace of God. It's like, um, it's like you find out, so in the, this is how the gospel works out. Once you get saved, the more you walk with Jesus, it's like the more you start to realize what you've been saved from. And that's the mercy and grace of God. In other words, only later in your life of walking with God do you start to realize the greatness of what you were saved from. 
Um, and that's a great kindness and mercy. In, uh, who could bear a full revelation of our sins outside of the safety of knowing God? Um, and so Jesus says to his disciples, when you go to people, offer them peace. He says, peace be to this house. That's the offer you're offering, you, that you're giving them. Peace, the peace of God upon you. The first thing that they're going to hear from us is, uh, may God's gracious hand of peace be on your home, on your life, on all that is yours. Um, and so, in other words, as we share the gospel, the, the, the tones and the message that's kind of front-ending is, God wants to have peace with you. He wants to bring His mercy and grace in your life. This is what He desires. If someone goes, why? I don't understand why I need that. Um, well, it's a good time for them to hear some of the bad news. But um, it's not the way to front end it. The first message is a message of peace. We're on mission and we have a message of peace. May God's gracious hand be on you. Number three, we have a reason to rejoice. So the 72 disciples go out and then they come back to Jesus with great joy. They were pumped up uh, by what they had seen and done. But unfortunately, like all of us, they'd, moved, they'd easily moved off of center. Um, they're excited that even <laughs> the demons are listening to them in Jesus' name. They are impressed with themselves and they have every reason to be. They're seeing marvelous things done uh, through their ministry. Um, they probably feel the same as you and I would if we were walking around town and healing the sick and um, telling demons where to go and uh, it would be very difficult to um, keep our hearts centered and, and focused. Um, so they're experiencing this unusual power, and this has excited them. It's not evil, but it's a distraction. Um, and the problem is that our hearts are too easily distracted by things like pleasure and comfort and control and security and the like. Sometimes we're distracted by evil pleasures and evil comforts and um, control over people's lives that that's not good um, but a lot of the time we're distracted by good things that God has put into our life um, one God has made life to be pleasurable he's given us uh, the idea of a life flourishing has certain comforts in it um, life is not supposed to always be out of control and you're not supposed to live in every way insecure. There must be some security in life, the way that God has made it. And, um, but our hearts get easily distracted and we go off center, even in the good things. And so we quickly identify ourselves with these things and they end up um, being our center, but they have no eternal value. The ministry that the disciples were doing wasn't uh, a ministry with eternal value. What the, the, them having authority over the demons um, wasn't the ultimate thing. It was a necessary um, authority in order to achieve the task. But there was something much greater, something much more valuable and important. So Jesus gently rebukes his disciples and he says to them, Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you. Rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He's saying, hey, your hearts have gone off center. The thing you're rejoicing about is wrong. Um, you know, that's a necessary thing for the task. This authority and power that you have from God to achieve the mission, that's necessary to achieve the mission. But don't rejoice in that. Just get on with that. 
You should be rejoicing. Your heart should be rejoicing. But rejoice in this. Rejoice that forever, eternity is yours. That peace between you and God has come. That God has made you His people. That you are His and He is yours. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Our rejoicing shouldn't come from any power or pleasure or earthly comfort or security. It shouldn't come from the absence of a pandemic or the absence of war or the absence of floods or in a promotion or in a new relationship. Our rejoicing shouldn't come from the absence of suffering or the presence of good things. Our rejoicing should come from one thing. That through Jesus we have peace with God. And that nothing is going to hinder that or get in the way. That no pandemic, no flood, no mosquito, wherever it's from. No, inf- no amount of inflation. Uh, no hikes at the petrol gas station. Nothing is going to get in the way of our eternal position with God. Of the peace that we have with Him. And where we will spend eternity with Him. Whatever hardships we go through, whatever difficulties we experience, whatever losses we might see, God will return uh, all of that and more to us in His presence. We have peace with God and an eternal place with Him. So in this life, as we land, we may encounter great suffering. Many various types. C.S. Lewis Uh, When his wife passed away, he said he thought that his faith was strong and secure. He thought that his faith, that he had a firm faith in God and a compassion for for man. But then when he lost his wife, he realized his faith in God wasn't strong and he he lacked a lot of compassion. He said, it's like you think you have a good hold on a rope that's going to save you. And then you experience your own suffering and you realize you don't have a hold on it at all. God uses, he says, suffering, but allows it into our lives um, to help us to see our great need for him. To help us to see that God is worthy of it all. To see that our relationship with God is primary of all things. That there's no comfort or security that could ever um, satisfy us eternally. But God can. And to kind of draw our attention to that, God allows uh, certain things into our lives. (coughs) So regardless of how it goes, the end is sure. Jesus says, rejoice in something that will last forever. Peace with God. 